0: First off, like to say I appreciate everyone for being here and appreciate you coming out tonight to, to study the chapter of Acts, chapter 15. Um, I certainly appreciate the prayer on my behalf and uh, also want to welcome you if you consider yourself a visitor and welcome you back at any opportunity that you get. We appreciate your presence here and, and thank you for being here. This morning, David talked about relationships, and in a lot of ways, that's what Acts chapter 15 is about. We won't get into the specifics of those, but what we're going to see is that we have a basically a success story in the face of controversy, and it took relationships among leaders and among men of God to, to work it out, and so in my mind... The story here in, in the 15th chapter of Acts is, is definitely a success story and one that we can lean on not only as Christians or leaders of the church, uh, but lots of examples here of how to reason and to get along with others. Um, you know, you can't read in, in uh, chapter 14 or, or 15 of Acts without seeing that there was turmoil at this time in history. There was division at this time in history, and we see a lot of that in our country right now, but we know that Satan loves turmoil, he loves dissension, he loves the lack of unity, he loves the agitation and the agitators, he loves the stir. You know, all the violence and the sinful actions that have come out of all this, that's it's exactly what he wants in the world. He doesn't want people to come to agreements. He doesn't want people to get along. And so that's, to me, why this chapter is somewhat refreshing, uh, just based on the events that we're seeing right now. But we're going to read, we're going to see that there is a a continuation of turmoil that we've seen in other chapters and divisions like that which we saw in chapter 14 but the turmoil found in chapter 15 is going to look a lot different than the turmoil discussed in the previous chapters Um, this one's going to be amongst believers so let's quickly jump back to chapter 14 just to get a little bit of reference for where we are here Acts 14 beginning in verse 1 And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Sounds pretty good so far. But, it's always that word that gets us, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. Controversy, problems, unbelievers, believers, differences of ideas, And it's the same thing that we see in society today, agitators stirring the pot. There's a overall lack of commitment by mankind to let people be at peace, to let them come to a decision. There's always gotta be an agenda, a push. Um, Have to stir other people up. We have to incite others to act like we do. Whatever opinion we may have, we have we have to get everybody on our cause whether you call it rebellion or agitation, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's very common in the world today, especially right now. Can't be civil anymore. Can't discuss things. We can't debate things. We can't reason out things. Opposing views want to get violent and radical and extreme so that there's no middle ground in which to make a decision. You know, the agitators, as we see on the nightly news, won't allow for any reasonable thought. But again, as we mentioned, this division is turmoil, it's of Satan. And we know why Satan enjoys division, because he enjoys lies, he enjoys the untruth. And we always find that embedded in these controversies. The division we're going to be reading about tonight will be division among believers themselves, just like you and I here tonight. A little bit different circumstances in history, but you had Jewish Christians, those that had lived all their lives being the people of God that had seen or heard about Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection, that had lived a life under the Mosaical law, what I would call a Jewish Christian that had been converted to Christianity, if you will, versus Gentiles or non Jewish Christians. They had never really known God, they were outside of God's family, they had never been given a, a covenant or a, a, a plan of salvation, unlike these Jewish Christians. So, what you have here are different backgrounds. And then what comes into play is the new law, Christ's dispensation, the Christian dispensation. So the Jews, you know, have a long history as being God's chosen people. So there are people that have had a history of laws that have guided them along the way. They had traditions, uh, they had a relationship with God before Gentiles were even in the picture, if you will. And then on the other hand, you have these, quote, Gentiles who were naturally excited to have this Christian dispensation, to have an opportunity to have salvation. They were excited to be involved in something as hopeful as a plan of salvation. It was it was unknown to them, basically. It's foreign to them. You know, never in their history had they had access to the kind of things that Uh, The gospel gives us now And that these men were teaching It was new to them Interestingly enough The problem at this time Going on in the church Is kind of what we see going on in organized religion today It really hasn't changed What you have are the traditions of men Versus the will of God And it's not hard to to figure that out Talk to some of your friends that belong to other denominations and, And bring up any given subject Try baptism, that's a good one And see if it doesn't create a little bit of contention It's hard to find somebody without an opinion on it The problem is The solution is right here And men often lack the humility to go to God's word to find those solutions. So hopefully tonight we'll see that in this success story that we're going to read about that we hope and pray that these men were using God's word. We know they were. They were inspired of God. So we're going to to look at that here in a minute. You know, God tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, he says, Let there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgments that's his goal for us there is a a positive solution to be had it's just that mankind often has a hard time finding that you know these controversies are not new to religion in general or even to the church as a whole but we do have examples in the bible of how to deal with those and how to deal with controversy, and I think this chapter tonight is, is one of them. Second Timothy 2 and verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I think we should all be comforted by the fact. That there are a lot of folks in this congregation and in the church worldwide that we have men and women that study and that are learning and that are reading and that are able to humbly defend their faith and that are humbly able to show you God's will through Scripture each and every day. You know, some of these may be evangelists, some of these may be deacons, some of these may be elders. But some are not. Some are just us, each and every one of us. You know, my grandmother never stepped one minute in a pulpit, at least not during an (laughs) assembly. But she could make you think, and she could make you think about Scripture. You know, I never left her house without having a talk that, inevitably, I wasn't looking a Scripture up for her. Or she was giving me a scripture that I either had to agree with or disagree with, but I always had to prove where I stood. Not because she was trying to test me. It's because she truly, earnestly was looking for the answers. And I always appreciated that about her. She just never took it for face value. Well, let's look at that. Can you pull this scripture up? So that's, a, I think, a challenge that I would have for you tonight is, uh, you know, she, she probably forgot more scripture than I'll ever know. Of course, she lived to be 96, and so I won't say that every minute of her life she was um, at the peak of her game. But she did teach those grandkids and, and us how to rightly divide the word of truth. Before we uh, begin the reading, I just wanted to kind of give an analogy or an example. Um, Since we're going to be talking about the old law versus the new law, and, and I have thought about this a lot of times. I don't think I've ever said it in this pulpit, but for some reason I've always used this analogy for myself. But in 1987... Some of you might remember that year. A lot of you don't. I'm getting old enough now that it's been a while back. But I just happened to be involved in this. But in 1987, in college basketball, they implemented a three-point line. And then the next year, 1988, they implemented that in high school. So it directly affected me because I was a basketball player. So they changed the rules on us whenever I was a uh, junior in high school between my sophomore and junior year well that's kind of what we're going to see going on here I won't say change the rules but things changed because when Christ came and died on the cross and laid out you know what how we need to live as Christians it, it took some people by surprise and I would say the Jews were the ones that were subjected to that so uh for the Gentiles, not so much other than the fact they had access to something they they uh, had never had access to before. So to use this analogy, when they added the three-point line in 1987, um, it changed everything. Because before then, everything that was shot counted as two points. Didn't matter where on the court it was taken from. It could have been full length of the court or a layup. It was two points, regardless of where that shot was taken. But after implementing the three-point line, every shot taken from behind 20 feet or so was considered a three-pointer instead of two. So you got additional points the further out you were. And my point in mentioning this is that it took some time for this rule change to be accepted and understood and enforced properly, you know, it affected everyone that was involved in the game, whether you were a coach or a player or a ref or even the fans. A lot of times the fans would get upset because they didn't understand the new rules. And we see that today, too. If, if, if you don't understand the rules, you're going to have a hard time coming to terms with them. So <clears throat> the only reason I use this is because I, I think kind of on a spiritual level, you had a similar thing going on here. You know, you had... Dissension from those who were purists who were wanting to stay strictly to the old law you know Bob Knight comes to mind when I think of someone like that I remember back thinking he, he didn't like the three point line he was a purist he believed in the game of basketball to like no one else he, he was uh, whether you're a fan or not of Bob Knight you know that he was a student of the game and he believed in the game but they changed the rules on him you know, for him, two-pointers were good enough, and his offensive sets were designed to exploit defenses based on the rules of the game. Three-pointers changed all that for him. You know, he was a believer in pounding the ball into the big man in the middle and scoring two points, moving the basketball. He was a very fundamental coach along those lines. He didn't, any, he didn't want... Anyone from the outside of basketball, whenever this rule change happened, outside of the basketball circles, intervening and giving input on the game. He was just turned that way. You know, there were a lot of writers, a lot of fans, a lot of public, a lot of people outside of basketball and the NCAA that were giving their input on these changes. And he was very dismissive of all that. He felt like this uh, this rule, the three-point rule, cheapened the game. And I don't want this to be trivial, but we're going to see tonight that the Jews were somewhat like Bob Knight in the old law. They believed in the old law, and they didn't want anybody or anyone else coming in and rattling their cage about this and here you have Paul and Barnabas and Peter and all these apostles and other men going about preaching God's word rattling their cage well you can think of the, the NCAA the governing body as, as Christ if you will you know, the changed rule. The, the rules changed because of Christ, because of the NCAA, and they didn't exactly consult the Jewish leadership at this time. The NCAA didn't go to Bob Knight and say, Hey, Bob, we're going to put in a three-point line. What do you think? Maybe they did, but my point tonight is that they moved without, with or without his opinion. So it took a while for people to warm up to this idea of the three-pointer. But the bottom line was that Bob Knight learned how to coach with the three-point rule in effect. Take Rick Pitino. I don't know how many of you are basketball fans, but he's a successful coach as well. I don't think he's coaching anymore that I know of, but at the time he was a young man, probably in his 30s, I would guess, in, in the 80s. He was just the opposite of Bob Knight. He wholeheartedly bought into the thought that the three-point line was a good thing. In fact, since he was on the opposite side of the spectrum in his thinking about it, he thought it was a great real change. And so he immediately bought into the three-pointer and told his best shooters to work on their range. In other words, keep shooting further out, get better from further out, because this is going to be a good thing. He told them to get good, at sh- get good at shooting the three-pointer. So in our reading tonight, I'm going to kind of compare the apostles and the Gentiles and even Cornelius, like we saw in chapter 14, even Paul and Peter is kind of the Rick Patinos. They were forging a new way pretty fast. They saw that the benefits outweighed the negatives, that Christianity was the answer, that Christ was the answer, and that stepped on the toes of Jewish Christians who really hadn't come to terms with the rule changes. So, what we have tonight in our reading are those that were staunch supporters of the old. They wouldn't accept the new, just like we talked about, Bob Knight. We have those, on the other hand, on the opposite end of the spectrum that accepted the new wholeheartedly and helped others believe that the changes were good. These people helped settle the, the division and the turmoil created by the new rules. Rick Pitino. And then, ultimately, when it was all said and done, there was some medium ground there. And you had those that believed and respected the game and respected the leaders of time enough in basketball that over time, they became converts themselves. And I think Bob Knight was one of those. He coached many years with the three-point line after that, and there wasn't a whole lot said later in his career about the three-point line. So tonight, we're going to see in our reading that we're going to have a contention. There's a problem. And I'm just going to break this down quickly, and then we're going to have a response from Peter. And then we're going to have a response from Paul and Barnabas They're going to take the floor and and give their two cents on the situation. And then we're going to have James, the brother of Jesus, make a final decision because they've asked him as a leader in the Jerusalem church to be involved in this. And so he's going to give a judgment about what all of these men are going to discuss And ultimately, I think it's important to realize that the acceptance that they give this decision. And we're going to see these men ultimately and know that they work together to come to this conclusion for a godly resolution. And then finally, there was disagreement... In this chapter for sure, but not to the point of keeping them from doing God's work. And we're going to see at the end that I'm not going to get into the specifics because I don't know what caused it. But these leaders within the church, none of this kept them from embarking on their missionary journeys into the work at hand of spreading the gospel. Verse 1, chapter 15. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught to the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So that pretty well sets up the controversy, doesn't it? So what you have is a, an old law teaching. But you have new law preachers men inspired by god to preach the gospel and i think at this point in the chapter they've not come to terms with the, with this problem themselves to be honest because these were jewish men it says when therefore paul and barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas are going to be called in here to help resolve this dispute about circumcision. You know, things are going to go pretty well here as they're going on their journey. Uh, and it says, In being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So these men were somewhat famous. Um, the people knew them. They enjoyed seeing them. They enjoyed hearing them. These were educated men. It was a cause of great joy to have them come through. And it says, when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and the elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. So they had a lot of good works go on on their travels. And when they got to Jer- uh, Jerusalem... The church brought them in, the leadership there, and all the other apostles and elders that were there, and Paul and Barnabas basically relayed their story of their journey and of the good things that had happened. So here we go again with the contention, verse 5. It says, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. (coughs) So that sets the stage for us. There's the contention. In verse 6 it says, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. So, basically uh, this is just the leading end of what's fixing to happen. What's, what, how are we going to resolve this? Well, we don't know yet but we do know Peter's going to get involved. And so verse 7, it says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles, Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt you, God, to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they... Let's quickly turn back and look at Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, and again, this is is Peter. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So basically, this is what he's conveying to them. Let's move on now in the same chapter, Acts chapter 10, and verse 44. It says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, that means the Jews which believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Okay, keep that in mind. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 11, in verse 17. Acts 11 and 17, for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Verse 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So here's where Peter's perspective in. He's been chosen by God to convey this message to the Gentiles. And so he tells them in verse 10 of Acts 15, he says, Why tempt ye, God? Why would you want to put this yoke upon the necks of the disciples? which our fathers, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So he's, he's telling them, why would you want to impose a rule on these people when we ourselves couldn't keep it? The old law was so egregious that no one was able to, to completely do everything within the law to justify themselves. That was in God's plan of salvation from the beginning, to have Christ come to do away with all those things, that we could be justified through him, through Christ. So that's where Peter's perspective on all this was, and he knew that, but he was inspired of God. But we haven't solved the controversy yet. Whether it was a new dispensation that had replaced the old law and taken its place or not, we can see clearer at the time, we can see clearer now than they did at the time because of scripture and the written record we have. So we can look back on these verses and we can read them and and keep it all in perspective. And they didn't have the benefit to be able to do that. As you can imagine, some of the Jews of the day had converted to Christianity and accepted Christ as their savior, but they had a hard time not adhering to the old law, to doing those ordinances of Moses. It was just a difficult process for them because it's all they had ever known. Keep the law, keep the law. So what we have here is a, a mashup of religious ideology when the church was in its infancy that it's going to need to be sorted out and that's what what we're going to keep reading here is that they will get this sorted out basically they couldn't see the forest for the trees at the time you know it wasn't like once Jesus died on the cross there was an immediate acceptance or a denial of the old law of Moses you know with Christianity today We have scripture to educate us regarding some of these issues. But here we had lots of opposing groups pushing for certain beliefs. So Peter gets his say here and he tells them his perspective and he tells them, you know, God has put it upon me to deliver this message to the Gentiles. So next up are Paul and Barnabas. And they're going to be allowed to speak on this controversy. It says, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So just a one small paragraph sentence about Paul and Barnabas here, but basically a lot of respect for these two men because of number 1 what they had done, number 2 who they were, and number 3 who they represented. They represented God and they were sincere men. And they were just preaching the fact that they had had a lot of success and that basically the will of God was being fulfilled in their travels. And it says the multitude kept silence. We don't get a lot of that these days when someone's speaking. In a crowd like this, when it's contentious. All right, who's going to be next in this process? Verse 13, it says, After they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. So James was a leader in this Jerusalem church. Don't know whether he was an elder, a deacon. I don't know exactly. The titles, but I know he had enough reverence from this crowd that people listened. And he asked them to listen. He said, hearken unto me. Simon, uh, Simon Peter here had declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written... After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen down and I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is, basically his final judgment on this He had the authority here to to make a ruling or a judgment that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. So as a leader in a position to make a, a ruling on the contention that was going on here about circumcision, he weighed on the things that Peter said. He let the things that Paul and Barnabas got up and told this crowd weigh on his mind and on his decision. I'm going to say the Holy Spirit was involved. (coughs) Excuse me. But basically he states here that the calling of the Gentiles is part of God's divine plan. He just reiterates exactly what these three men had already supported. He said this was known to God from the beginning. In other words, it's God's will to make Gentiles part of God's family. Okay, let's keep reading. It says verse 20, But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. I'm going to... I'm going to move on past that, and I'll come back to that verse. But it says, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preached to him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So why he would incorporate these old law rules on the Gentiles after basically saying, hey, they have access to salvation? I don't know the answer to that. You know, these were common customs of the Gentile world that were looked on by Jewish people as an abomination. You know, fornication was the rule with Gentiles more than it was the exception. The Jewish people had grown up with the old law. They knew right from wrong they had that school teacher the Gentiles didn't have that and I wasn't able to completely flesh out the reasoning for them doing this or for James to do this you know there were restrictions in the old law about strangling and and about blood and rules concerning blood in the old law that restricted how animals were killed the only thing I might would offer is that um, these were very uncommon things to a Jewish Christian. And they were very offensive to them. And it might have been a stumbling block to them. So maybe what we have here is somewhat of a compromise, if you will, without compromising God's will. If anybody has any thoughts on that particular verse after the lesson, I would certainly certainly entertain That, um, but for now, let's move on. It says, for Moses of old time, oh, verse 22. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas surnamed Barsabbas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles and elders and brethren Send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. So, basically, what you have is an agreement and a compromise and a one accord, if you will, about what has gone on here. An agreement with the ruling. By James, in agreement of the statements made by Paul and Barnabas, and an agreement of the things told them by Peter. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to, to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So basically this is just the ruling in writing. That ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye you keep yourselves, ye you shall do well, fare ye well. So there's that similar exhortation. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which, when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. So basically that's the end of that train of thought about the controversy at hand, the circumcision part of the story, the old law versus the new law. Were Gentiles going to be held to that, or were they going to be allowed access to Christ and the new law? So I think it's pretty well summed up by these men who got up and spoke from God's word and spoke with the help of the Holy Spirit. The last part of this chapter is kind of strange to me because you have all these men still gathered and going about doing the work and they kind of get in another controversy but it's on a minor level so I still think of all this thing these things as a success but it says verse 32 and Judas and Silas being prophets also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them and after they had tarried there a space they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. So basically these men were ready and willing to stay and work, to do what it took to spread the gospel. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, here again men willing to work for the cause of Christ, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city, where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do so basically now they're making plans to go on another missionary journey to spread the word and Barnabas determined to take with them John whose surname was Mark but Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work So there was a little bit of internal controversy here among the preachers and the evangelists and the the apostles about who was going to go with who to do this work. But I guess in my mind that's minor controversy when compared to the big picture of the gospel of Christ. It even goes on to say in verse 39 and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus and Paul sold. Chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. You know, just because they had a little disagreement here on the end about who was going to go with who and and where they were going to go, possibly, these men never wavered from preaching the gospel. These men remained steadfast, even unto death, for the cause of Christ. Christ. They were unwavering. They were faithful. They were resolute. I have a couple of verses in conclusion I wanted to read you tonight concerning circumcision. I didn't get into them in the body of the lesson, but Romans 2 and 25, it says, For circumcision verily profiteth profiteth if thou keep the law. In other words, the old law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Colossians 2, verse 11, it says, In whom also are ye circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Again, these men didn't have access to the lump sum the consolidation of the scripture like we have it today to be able to pull on these verses to come up with the conclusions that that they did but they did have the holy spirit they did have the blessing of of the lord himself so as we look at the chapter tonight i would uh just let you know that if you'd like to obey the gospel I hope this chapter has confirmed that salvation is available to all men and that by putting off the, the body of sins that is a part of all of us that you can become a Christian. So if you would like to at this time, you can come forward as we offer an invitation.